Uh, you want to listen to some of the audio and make sure it came through okay? I guess it doesn't matter at this point. If it didn't come through, there's no going back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody ready? Let's do it. Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 43. I'm Rocco. And I'm Ryan. And this is Destination Linux. This week we're going to be covering Ubuntu 18.04, LXQT, Zubuntu, Antics, yeah. Linux Mint, and all the latest gaming news. But first, we have an email to cover. Oh, nice. We're going to be able to provide some technical support here, Rocco? Well, we're going to try, dude. Okay. <laughs> What's going on? All right. So Eric sent us an email, and he says, yeah. I bought a second-hand hard drive from a sale at a local school. It's a two-terabyte Western Digital Blue. I installed it, got it mounted, and used mm-hmm. it for about an hour, and yeah. it became inaccessible. Uh-oh. Well, I know all about this. No <laughs> Keep going. Okay. So reformatting at this point left me with a chunk of inaccessible data. Now, either the HD Parm or disks put it as a status as frozen. So from my understanding, this can be fixed by power cycling the hard drive without power cycling the computer. I'm wondering if, if this will be a continuous problem on this drive. Would the easiest solution be to put it in an external case? So well, what do you think, man? Well, listen, this kind of falls into my area of expertise. I've been doing this a long time. And I'll tell you, first of all, yes, take it in an external case. And then what you want to do is once it's in that external case, put it in your microwave and you want to put it in the microwave. In your microwave. Yeah. But listen, for about 30 seconds. And then this is this is a hard drive. Well, what would you do? Well, there's only one obvious choice, dude. I would put it in the freezer. It's a known fact that if you put it in That's the freezer. That's batteries. No, dude. It's a known fact. If you put it in the freezer, it will fix any problems with you that you have with the hard drive. Uh, guys. Whoa. <laughs> Maybe we should have had him call the Ask No Show. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. Look who is on our show. Eric, you should have called the Ask Noah Show, <laughs> but instead- we're going to ask Noah for you. I find out there's a troubled Linux user. I go to where that troubled <laughs> Linux user is. Happy to be here, guys. Thanks so much for having me on Destination Linux. And uh, we are so happy to have you on here. So listen, can you help Eric out? Do you have some recommendations for Eric? Yeah. So um, obviously, if the drive itself, the internal drive is failing in any way, shape or form, whether it's sitting inside of the computer case or it's outside the computer case in an external enclosure really doesn't make that big of a difference. What I would suggest is replace that hard drive altogether. If it's something that you don't really, you don't care about, maybe it's, maybe it's something that you're just, it's, it, it houses like maybe some downloads or I have a, I have a drive that's in my machine that all it does is function as a, as a storage bay for the things that download, you know, into my home directory. If it's something like that and you don't care if you lose that data, maybe hang on to it. But uh, any, any sort of data that I care about, I'd, I'd be replacing that drive ASAP. Definitely. If that doesn't work, microwave or freezer. Freezer. Definitely. <laughs> freezer. <laughs> well, of those two, I would do the freezer if I wanted to recover the data and the microwave if I didn't want to recover the data but wanted to enjoy the hard drive. See? 
<laughs> See, we both had good answers, Rocco. That's right. Uh, All right, oh, now, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, been awesome. a big fan for years now. All right, so you don't need an introduction, but you are a business owner. You are a former host of the insanely popular Linux Action Show uh, with Jupiter Broadcasting, and now you have your own show, The Ask Noah Show. So before we get into all of that, let's go back to the beginning and tell us, when and where did you start in Linux? Yeah, so um, I was probably... um 14 or 15 years old. And I was working for a medical software company at the time. And um, they had this really cool policy and a policy that I've actually carried on into my business, which was, we called it professional development and, and where was abbreviated PD. And you could PD equipment. So you could take any equipment that the uh, software company had, you could take it home, do whatever you wanted with it. As long as before that equipment went out into deployment, then 48 hours before that, it had to be returned. And the company was upgrading one of their main servers. And so they ordered this brand new Dell, like $8,000 server. And here I am, you know, this, I think, freshman in high school. And I'm like, oh, I can, pl- I can take, you mean you're going to let me take that home and play with it? And yeah, I go for it. So I take it home and I don't have a copy of Windows, which is what they were using. There's Windows 2000 server at the time. And, uh, and so I got it home and I was like, well, I don't know what to do with it. It just boots up to the BIOS and I can't, I can't really do anything with it. Uh, and so I started looking around and I'd always been told by people, uh, you know, if you want something really stable, really cool, you want to want to play with technology, check out Linux. Right. And so I went around, kind of asked a couple of people, where can I get Linux? Nobody really knew. Finally, I ran into one of the guys at the software company uh, and he had a copy of Red Hat and uh, and he gave me a copy of uh, Red Hat and I took it home, put it on this server. And it was it was a phenomenal experience. It, it was, you know, that we had our Windows 2000 server at the time. And for anyone that administrated Windows 2000, you'll remember that it had this really unique problem where it would assign the same IP address to multiple clients, which is a problem when your job is a DHCP server, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what we would do to combat that is we had a restart schedule. So once every 28 days, we would restart. And what we found was that would pretty much eliminate that, that particular issue with a couple other ones. And so when I started playing with Red Hat, it ran for like three months and I didn't have any problems with it. And so I put this medical software that we're using on it and it ran perfectly. So I was talking to my boss and I said, you know, here's the thing, guys, uh, I have the server and uh, I know it goes in deployment next month and uh, I installed this Linux thing on, you might want to check it out. It's kind of cool that it ran for three months. It didn't run for three months. Yeah, it did. It's just still running. Really? Yeah. Bring it in here. We want to see it. So they pushed the deployment date back six months. We bring the server in, they set it up on the test bench and it ran there for another three or four months. My boss is blown away and he's like, we got to put this into production. I'm like, here's the thing. I don't really know anything about it, but uh, yeah, we can try that. And he's like, okay. So we install it runs for about a year and a half. Very happy with it. Eventually they decide we're going to upgrade our servers. And because we're a medical software company, we had clients that were using our software said, we're going to start using this Linux thing on all of our clients. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I just downloaded an ISO, man. I don't know how to, I don't know how to administrate all this stuff. So they, they, and they were good about it. And so they sent me off to, um, to an official Red Hat training course and I got taught how to administrate Red Hat. Um, and we, over time, switched the entire company, both the back end server infrastructure and the front end infrastructure, the desktops that people actually worked on entirely over to Linux. And so at 15 or 16, I guess maybe 17 years old, I saw what happens when you, you leverage the power of open source. I watch profit margins go up. I watch customer satisfaction go up. I watch reliability, security, all of those things rose. And it's not that we didn't have any problems. We were just fighting different problems than we were fighting on Windows. And ultimately, our customers were happy. Um, long story short, company gets bought out. 
a new company comes in, company at the bottom out said, we're going back to Windows because that's the industry standard. And I said, I know a bunch of clients that have Linux installed and they're going to need support. So it sounds like a great time to start an IT consulting company. Uh, and so 2009, right. I did that. I started a consulting company from the idea that Linux and open source can be leveraged to provide a better experience to the end user without compromising security, without compromising quality. If you have somebody to come alongside you, walk alongside you and just show you how to do it. And I've been doing that ever since. And it's been a incredibly rewarding career um, that, obviously culminated with a job with Jupiter Broadcasting, hosting the Linux Action Show, and now the Ask Noah Show. Right. Man, that's an awesome story to the start of how you became so knowledgeable in Linux. And I, I really love the idea that you seized those moments and opportunities throughout. And we were on just a recent business trip with the company I work for. And that was the big message they were trying to get across to people is look for those moments like that and seize them. Don't just let yep. it go by you. And that's what you did. And look how it turned out. I mean, it's been an entire career for you. Now, when you talked about the Linux Action Show as being a part of your career, a lot of us, including myself, uh, got to know you during your time on that show. Are there some favorite moments from that show that you have? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a trip, man. I mean, so day one, um, I flew out to Seattle and uh, I went to host the first couple episodes. I think we did two. I think we actually, what we ended up doing was we did Linux action, action show. We did faux show, which I, I guest hosted on. And then we did another Linux action show. So I had like probably five hours of creating content, never having gone on air before and to doing, you know, this content thing. And um, that was fun because it was an opportunity to, to work in person with Chris. And the thing about Chris Fisher is he is, like a podcast master, right? And so the opportunity to sit next to him and, you know, he, he'll give you so many tiny little tips that, and he'll, and offhanded comments that he'll make that have just carried me so far. And so to, to start off the, the, the new job that way, to sit next to him and him say, look at the camera this way, or say things this way, or phrase things this way, or keep your notes this way, or use these extensions in the browser that will help you prepare for the show. All of those things uh, were things that I learned and were able to help me build a successful, you know, I guess what you would call a successful broadcasting uh, branch on top of my IT career. Um, so that was fun. Um, and then we had a, a really excellent episode um, about a year ago, year and a half ago, um, we had the switch competition, right? And so we met with System76, some people who just love Linux, love desktop Linux, mm -hmm. are passionate about getting people involved with Linux. Um, and they took they, their Air A player and uh, JB selected me and they said, we're going to put you head to head and we'll see who can switch more people to Linux. And I won't ruin it if somebody hasn't seen that episode, but it was, it was so much fun to shoot. It was so much fun to go out, meet people, sit down with people, you know, and people who had never heard of Linux. And you sit down and you explain what open source is and you set the computer in front of them and just watch their eyes kind of go man, that exists. And you're telling right. me that's free. And yeah. you know, there's, you know, there's, there's some lady there that she had windows 10 and she was super confused by it. And I'm like, you just use this flash drive and that problem goes away. And then to add to that, what was funny about the experience was, and everyone that was on the production team, because we're all nerds, we're talking about this, <laughs> man, you would not believe how many people will let you plug a flash drive into their laptop. <laughs> like I would never do that. Not in a million years. Would no I let way. somebody, some stranger plug a flash drive into my laptop? People are like, man, yeah, sure. Go ahead and call your operating system. Man. I'm like, okay <laughs> well i think that's really interesting because you know a lot of people know my story i i did this 30 days of linux and then i switched to linux but before that there 
were moments where I would get interested in Linux because I work in telecom and obviously a lot of the backend servers that we use are Linux based servers. So, uh, you know, I had some interest in there, but I was mostly managing the teams. I didn't get into it, but I downloaded the Linux action show and I would listen. And I, I kept, I remember so many moments sitting there going, I wish I could just download their brains. Like if I could just plug them in and like matrix style and get all the information, but you know, you guys really inspired a lot of people. I mean, I, I take moments like that and think down the road, Linux came into my head again and I thought, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going to switch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what's so neat about doing podcasts and things like this is getting those reactions back, uh, whether it's comments on your videos or your shows saying, hey, you inspired me to switch. And oh my gosh, I can't believe what this thing is. And that's what I tell people all the time. I never intended to stay with Linux. I went to go back to Windows 10 when I was done with the YouTube series, but sure. here I am now on a podcast about Linux. How does that happen? <laughs> well, and what's it, what's interesting too, is that you as a, as a listener, as a consumer of those podcasts, you have a better understanding of how to create content and how to deliver that content effectively to your listeners than somebody who is just sitting around going, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. You know, and if I, you know, if I start making YouTube videos, I could probably make a couple thousand dollars in ad revenue. And there are those people out there. Right. Yeah. And, and they don't go anywhere. And then they get very frustrated and they burn out and they don't understand why. And of right. course, the reason is because they're lacking that passion, the passion that you have, the passion that I have, the passion that Rocco has. Right. That's fundamentally lacking. It's true. Yep. Very true. It's all about wanting to do it and not wanting to do it for a money reason. So, right. And it's, you know, we can sit here and we can have this conversation and it's all about Linux. And I guarantee you, each one of us is having so much fun just sitting down talking about Linux. <laughs> right. Yeah, you guys really had to twist my arm to come talk about Linux. <laughs> Dude, you were so great. I said, hey, will you do? Oh, sure, I would love to. <laughs> you should have seen my face when Rocco sent me the telegram that Noah wants to be on our show. I'm like, you're kidding me. This is the guy, like, if you would put the lineage back. I'm a fanboy. I'm sorry, Noah. Lineage back to when I started with Linux. Like, your face is it, man. So it's so awesome to have you here. We got so many more questions for you. We got to get going. All right. What so- we got, Rocco? On a uh, recent episode of the Ask Noah show, you talked about Ubuntu 17.10. Mm-hmm. So what are the features that you love about it and what are the features that you think should be changed? Great question. Yeah, I think that Canonical has really hit, uh, they've really connected in a way that they haven't before. I think that for a long time, we watched Canonical kind of spiral around and they kind of they were kind of like a, they were trying to do this like homing beacon thing trying to find where they fit in well is it tv not no not quite is it maybe maybe the, maybe the industry is moving to mobile maybe we should try mobile oh not quite and uh, and we just kind of watched that for five or six years and and a lot of us were very frustrated by that because mm-hmm. during that time period you had microsoft totally screwing up uh windows 8 at the same time that apple is declaring that the windows desktop is dead while microsoft is in fact trying to kill it um and uh and so as you're watching opportunity after opportunity after opportunity pass canonical by and you're saying guys there is a void that yes all these places are concentrating on mobile that's the time when you concentrate on 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 desktop linux here and they weren't doing it and uh april of this year I was sitting at Dell. We were actually filming a special, but one of the last Linux action shows we ever did. We were filming a special there and we're sitting in a room full of Dell executives that the top end people, uh, the top tier people who work on uh, desktop Linux at Dell and Chris gets a message and he says, oh my God, Mark Shuttleworth just announced that cannot that uh, canonical is moving Ubuntu back to GNOME and everyone in the room is like they're on Twitter they're on Telegram they're on Wired they're on Hangouts they're oh you know and they're trying to confirm it and yeah sure that's what's happening and Chris and I 
we're immediately in sync, right? This is a great thing. This is an, uh, this is an excellent thing. And then over the next couple of days, you watch the internet do what they do best, which is find every excuse to say why this is a terrible decision. And Canonical has given up on the desktop, on, the, on desktop Linux. And if they really cared about it, they'd continue developing their desktop. They don't care anymore. They're just going to servers. And so they're just going to shove whatever's left and, and plug some crappy desktop in. Right. And, and then what you saw was everything the opposite of that. What you saw was a company who who plugged into the community and said, okay, what is it that you users want from us? Where is our user base? Because this mystical idea of TV users and phone users, they don't exist. Where is that user base exist? Well, it exists with developers, it exists with uh, businesses, and it exists with people like me, passionate enthusiasts. And so what do all of those people have in common? Well, they all really like GNOME. And so they re-implemented GNOME back as the default desktop distribution uh, uh, default desktop. They are working with companies like Red Hat, with companies like SUSE to refine that that desktop operating experience. They are integrating at a native level the extensions that a lot of us were adding to make GNOME a useful desktop. Um, and so when I pulled 1710 out of the box and I plugged it into my computer, usually I don't install the non-LTS on my, on my primary machines. I usually have uh, a testing machine that I tested on. And uh, I only spent about six hours with it on the testing machine. And I'm like, this is it. This is an amazing experience. And Canonical has nailed it in a way that they just haven't done in five or six years. And it's just really exciting. Wow, that's huge. Is there anything out of all of it that you thought, or or now that you're looking at, that you think they should tweak or change? Or what, what are you excited about that you could see coming because of this big switch? Yeah, I think that there are some performance issues, uh, performance issues as it relates to um, the implementation of Wayland by default. Um, mm-hmm. And so anyone that's using uh, GNOME for the first time, especially if they're coming from Unity, the first thing they notice is, well, it seems a little less responsive. It seems like when yeah. I'm running games, it's a little less responsive. And it, it, it is, in fact, less responsive. Um, and there are some underpinnings that have to be modified for that to work. And I have every confidence that the Canonical will be able to work those out, probably be able to work them out before the LTS lands in April. Um, but I, there's definitely some work to be done there. Notifications, um, and I talked about this a little bit on Monday's episode, the notifications, they're using a modified version of App Indicator, um, not actually the extension top icons. Plus, the, the problem with that is, is it breaks constantly. And so like right now, I don't have any indication if Slack or Telegram is running because I don't have those notification bars up at the top. Um, and because they are forked from uh, classic GNOME, I don't even get the stupid drawer at the bottom. So I just have no <laughs> app indicators whatsoever. Uh, so that's a problem that needs to be addressed. High DPI is an issue on 1710. Mm-hmm. Um, there, You have to enable an experimental feature, which involves like this magical incantation on the command line to get the <laughs> to get the buttons to appear. Uh, and so, in it, you know, that, that's fine for those of us who are geeks. And it's just, I know, you know, you and I both know, we just right. we hit control alt T and then we just start banging away at our keyboard and we fix it. But to somebody who's not familiar with that, especially if they They've never touched GNOME before because they have been using Unity for six years. That's very off-putting. That's very confusing to somebody. Yeah. Um, and so things like that aren't fixed by the LTS. And all, uh, we know that the vast majority of people, like something like 80% of users are on the LTS. If 80% of people that are using uh, desktop Linux or uh, cannot, uh, Ubuntu upgrade and they all of a sudden find themselves on GNOME and all of those people who have high DPI monitors don't work, again, we're back at this, we're back at this, this precipice where... It, we have an opportunity here. Let's not screw it up. And so those things concern me. Well, I think that's a really good point. Rocco and I have always talked about, you know, especially when I first started with Linux, Ubuntu was the thing that if I screwed up my machine, no matter what distro I put on it, no matter how bad it was, 
if I went and downloaded the Ubuntu ISO and installed it, I could get my machine back working. It always supported the hardware. It was always compatible. And then when they went this Wayland route, I was like, oh, because I thought, you know, I, I love yeah. the idea of Wayland. Don't get me wrong, but I run NVIDIA products and things. So, you know, I've had nothing but issues trying to install things like Fedora, et cetera, because of that blank black screen with the blinking cursor that always happens. Now, Rocco was saying, and I've noticed this as well, that it will automatically switch you back. So they've done some things right. through the X server, which was an amazing, you know, feature that they added in there. But one of the things you talked about is it always working and those little features not being in there. And yes, the few of us can fix that. And it's funny because when you do videos sometimes and you complain about those things, people are like, it's easy. You just do this to fix it. I'm like, right. yes, to us, but not to everyone else. And they should right. explain that to my 80 year old grandmother. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So. Well, you mentioned that uh, GNOME has added features into the default desktop without the use of extensions. And that is the, the one thing that I have noticed that I have far less extensions now than I did with regular GNOME. So just example of the uh, transparency in the panel, which is something I, I would always add an extension for. And little things like that go a long way where they actually make it almost difficult for a new user to install extensions. So yeah. yeah, I can get the extensions installed, but somebody who uh, is not technical is not gonna be able to get those extensions installed. So it does have to work right out of the box. And that is by design. They they are they are they, that was a very conscious decision on the on the part of Canonical because they want to ensure uh, the kind of experience that the user is going to have. And so, if somebody is more advanced and really wants to do those things, they don't stop you. They just make it so it doesn't seem like oh, everyone everywhere I Google says I can go to extensions.gnome.org and just turn that thing on, and then that's supposed to work. Well. There's no way for Canonical to 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 reconcile what things they have included by default and what's going to break if you you know just haphazardly turn these extensions on. So it, you know one of the things we talk about the technical issues that's so impressive to me about your Ask Noah show. So we'll switch into the Ask Noah theme, which is right behind you. There's all kinds of Ask Noah. In case you're wondering how to get to it, there you go. You know one of the things that impressed me the most about that show. I've been in tech since I was 13. I ran a small computer business with my dad. We built computers from scratch. I think I know hardware really well, but I would mm -hmm. not be brave enough to sit there and just take random calls and try to answer people's problems live because I'd be like, oh man, there's going to be that one issue that I have no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So obviously your technical expertise is awesome. Um, do you have a team or how do you, how do you handle those situations though? When somebody does ask that question, you have, you may not be, maybe they ask it in a way you don't understand uh, is somebody helping you in the background or are you just doing all this out of your head? Yeah. So um, I do have an amazingly talented team. I am so fortunate. Um, we have our producer, Ben. He has been with me by my side um, since day one launch of this program. He actually commutes like 30 miles into town to come help me do it. Wow. Um, and because he's a fellow geek, uh, he can set things up. And so it, there have been so many problems that nobody ever notices because Ben is in the background fixing this stuff. And like nice. there is times where, so the way it works is that, you know, the, the content originates in our studio and then gets sent simulcast to both a radio station in Grand Forks, as well as uh, Jupiter Broadcasting. And that whole process is a, is a, just a, a litany of, 
boxes and interconnections and mixers and stuff like that. Uh, and the amount of times that he's something hasn't gone right and he's sitting there fixing it on the fly right before we go live, it just and 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 it always comes out and nobody notices because he does such a great job. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, and 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 Sarah, my call screener, uh, also my wife, she does a, an amazing job of making sure that callers have great audio and pre-screening those questions so that you know she she'll tweak it a little bit. If they call in and say, well, I have a problem. Linux doesn't work on my computer. Well, what exactly is it working? Well, the display thing is working. Okay. Well, gotcha. what specifically in the display thing? Well, it's the NVIDIA. Okay. So tell them that. Tell them that you have an NVIDIA card and that's not being recognized. And what's your distribution? Ubuntu 16 and 4. Tell him that. Tell him NVIDIA card isn't working in <laughs> 16. And, you know, and, gotcha. and the ability to screen calls like that. And we've never not let somebody on the air, um, but we do uh, coach them a little bit to make sure that their question it makes sense. And that, that goes a long way. Um, ultimately though. Yeah, sure. And you'll hear it on the show. There's plenty of times where it comes up and I just say, you know what? I just don't know the answer to that. <laughs> and uh, I never, I try to never leave uh, people hanging because I know, I remember when I was a 14, 15 year old and I was getting started with Linux mm-hmm. and I didn't have anyone to ask before my company had paid to send me to this training thing. It was, I had to figure it out. And uh, I, I found that I, it was not very receptive. If I asked a question, I was told RTFM. If I wanted to learn something about it, it was go figure it out yourself. Um, and if I had a problem with a hardware device, I was just, you were just out of luck. And um, so I feel very fortunate and very blessed to be at, in a position where I can help people both with knowledge. And if that doesn't work, I'll even give them hardware. If I come across somebody, if I come across a new user and they're having a problem with the printer, truth is uh, uh, an HP printer at Office Max, especially with the little rebate thing is probably 80 bucks. And right. I can do that pretty easily. So I'm willing to do that. Um, but yeah, it's, but to answer your question, yeah, I don't know everything. And um, so the best I can do is put that person back on hold. We collect their address, their email, phone number, whatever. And if we have to ship them something, we do that. If we can just solve it by spending a little one-on-one time with them, we do that. And again, I'm fortunate to have a very talented staff here at AltaSpeed Technologies that I, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, well, and they are, they are less than receptive sometimes. And they walk in, they're like, what am I doing? What are we doing this for? I'm like, on the show and he asked. I'm like, I pay your paycheck. Go, go fix this computer, you know? <laughs> well, you do an amazing job with it. And Thank I think you. it's, it's such a, it's such a difficult concept of a show and you really have to know your stuff to pull something like that off. So kudos to you for being able to do that. And it's a really fun show to watch and listen to. And half the time Thank you. I'm trying to sit there and see, could I solve this question right. before I leave you answer? <laughs> So I'm, sure. I'm keeping score over there. I'll send you the score one. Okay, yeah, that'd be good. We that'd won't ask your score, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, the microwave doesn't count. Does no, count? the microwave doesn't count. All right, all right. So you talk to Linux people all the time, Noah. But one thing that I find really exciting is places like Linux Fest Northwest. Okay, yes, you're a regular fixture there, and many other Linux fests. I love talking about Linux, and that's why we do the show. Okay, but tell me, from somebody who has never been to something like that, what does it feel like? What is the excitement level at a place that big with that many people talking about Linux? So it varies drastically from conference to conference. Um, if you go to some of the largest corporate conferences, so if you go to something like LinuxCon or OSCON, you're likely to find a not for, you're not going to find a lot of passionate people about Linux. Uh, what you'll find there is a lot of people who are passionate about making money, a lot of people who are passionate about working in large-scale enterprise, um, a lot of people that have a lot of experience in large-scale enterprise, but that those are the conferences where people go to find out how they can profit off of 
Linux. And, and not that there aren't plenty of uh, community, passionate community people that, that are also in those events, but the vibe, the feel uh, of community, I just, I've never seen it there. I, it, it, both OSCON and LinuxCon have always felt like very corporate events uh, structured around the profiting and, and making money off of Linux. Now, when you get to the fest level, Linux Fest Northwest, uh, Southeast Linux Fest, Ohio Linux Fest, all of those, uh, all of the, those have a much different feel to them. Our scale even is a great example, um, changing a little bit over time, but up till now, it has really been a, a you know a very strong sense of community, and so when you go to something like Linux Fest Northwest or Southeast Linux Fest, the best part about those events has nothing to do with the actual event, has nothing to do with the actual talks, which are great, has nothing to do with the expo hall, which is super fun and entertaining because you have people making beer with Linux, you have people, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you name it, somebody is doing it with Linux, and that's always sure. exciting to see. But that's the most exciting thing about it is the people, and uh, I. When I go to Southeast Linux Fest, um, I literally, I, I, I think I arrived on Thursday. I think we went to bed at four or five every single night. I was back up at seven or eight. So I was getting like two or three hours of sleep oh and gosh. we would do the fest all day. We, I'd sit and we would talk about Linux. We, we'd exchange war stories about how we solve these problems with Linux. We'd make fun of Mac users. And then at the, <laughs> and then at the very end of the night, when the conference is done and like, okay, we're done now at, you know, and a lot of the, like I said, at OSCON Linux, a lot of people, they just go back uh, we call them slam clickers. They go up to their room and slam click and the doors shut. And that's the end of it. Slam um, clickers. Yeah. <laughs> So, but at, at Southeast Linux Fest, though, when we get done with the conferences where everyone's done, sure, there are a couple of people that they turn in for the evening, particularly some of the you know people that are just there for their company representing on a table. But the rest of us, we all go to this large room and uh, they have all sorts of uh, beverages that are available and pizza. And you sit down and you just sit there and talk about Linux for hours and hours and hours and all the cool things you can do about it. And we, we, last year we took a guy's laptop apart and, and put an, uh, I think we replaced it with an SSD cause he couldn't get Linux working on, on his computer. And so there was the kernel guy was modifying his kernel thing and I was fixing the network stack and, and we got Linux running on this laptop for this guy. Cool and that? It, it was, it's so That's cool. Awesome. And, 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 you know, the thing is I have, I have toyed with the idea of how much I want to bring that on to the air because as a content producer, right? Like yeah. that is so rich content. If I could take a camera in there and film what happens mm -hmm. and stuff, it, like you said, everyone would love to see that. And it would, yes. it would, you know, be a really uplifting experience. The problem is once you introduce a camera, once you introduce an audio recorder, you stop being part of the community and you turn into that guy who right. is, you know, who's trying to pimp his thing. And, and I, I, I never want to do that. I always want to be a part of the community second or first, and then I want to be a broadcaster second. And that's why it, one of the things that I think has frustrated a lot of people that have to work with me along the way is because I'm a Linux enthusiast first and a broadcaster second, it means that every piece of hardware in the studio runs Linux. And it means <laughs> that if you want to interface with this with something that doesn't run Linux, then you're going to have a problem. And I will stop broadcasting before I stop using Linux. <laughs> uh, and so when you draw lines in the sand like that, it, you tend to upset some people. But um, that's always been my approach when I go to these these places is I want to be respectful and I want to uh, be a part a, a meaningful part of the community first and then whatever is left over whatever people are willing to come on the air with me whatever people want to do interviews whatever parts they are willing to share then we share those things and it does make great content every time right that's awesome pizza and Linux sitting around talking about Linux did that right there I was sold <laughs> yep <laughs> give me a group of geeks to talk about Linux done so, you know, one of the discussions we talk about a lot on this show is desktop environments. And I want to know, what is your favorite desktop environment and why is it XFCE? 
<laughs> okay so the uh we have a computer in the shop uh, uh-huh. and that computer is where all of our technicians update their work orders or if they're in there if they're going to run out for a minute uh they'll check their email real quick or something like that now that computer is running uh the L- latest lts of ubuntu with xfce and the reason that we chose XFCE for that particular computer is because the desktop is so immensely customizable. So yeah. if you've ever been to an airport uh, terminal, one of the things that we've set up uh, is are these kiosks for um, a lot of airlines use them. I don't want to, uh, but in any particular airline, you can, you can look and basically what they have is a large dock-like thing at the bottom that has all of the icons for their individual applications. Now, all of these applications for most airlines these days are web-based. So basically what they are is a lot of web shortcuts on this like dock-looking thing. And mm-hmm. I said, all of our stuff is is web, most of it's web-based and things that aren't run natively on Linux anyway. So we could probably implement the same thing. And XFCE allowed us to take a traditional desktop operating system and turn it into a kiosk without having to hire, you know, some software developer to write his kiosk software, without having to have something customized for, you know, to, to create this dock that's always present or whatever. And you can make those bars huge. So it takes yep. up like the bottom third of the screen. Yep. Um, XFC has been great for that. And, you know, I, I'm talking very heavily about GNOME previously, and I, I really like GNOME, have it running on my laptop. But the reality is GNOME crashes. It does. And yep. I get this little message that says, you know, you have to, the theme has failed or something and you, yep. and I have to, you know, load default theme. That has never happened on XFC, ever. Uh, and so it's a great desktop. And the only problem I've ever run into is I had a lower-powered machine, a client that had a lower-powered machine, and all she needed to do was run a uh, basically a, a, web, a website that had her security cameras on it, if you're familiar with ZoneMinder. Um, so for that, I mean, again, kind of went back to that, the XFC is going to be perfect for this. And we set it up, and I didn't bother to change the default uh, desktop wallpaper. And that offended her. She, and she walks in, she's like, that is the ugliest looking computer I have ever seen in my life. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. But other than their, other than their, their choice of default wallpaper, it's a great desktop. It really is. Yeah. And I think under talked about. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a funny thing on the show because I've been I've I've converted to XFCE. I did not expect to like it, and now I've become the biggest proponent for it because so many people told me XFCE was junk, and I expected it. And as a fairly new Linux user, I've only been in Linux for about a year now. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. I loved KDE. I loved the prepackaged desktop, but I right. didn't expect to like XFCE. But it's so easy to customize, and I've fallen in love. Now it's on all my machines, but I kind of, I kind of forced you into the XFC. Is that really one? I know you like XFC, but do you have a favorite desktop environment? You know, I, I, I guess I would, if I had to pick a favorite desktop environment, it depends on the job. My favorite desktop environment to sit down at and work is probably either. It's probably a toss up between GNOME and Unity. GNOME because it's so, if you can, if you can get your mindset into working in GNOME, you can jump from Fedora to Red Hat to now Ubuntu to Arch, and your workflow stays exactly the same because it's the same desktop environment. If I take that advantage out, Unity is such, well, I guess was at this point, it was such a polished desktop environment that multi-monitor, it had, had the best multi-monitor support of any desktop distribution out there. The integration of the dock so that it would resize the window and the window was aware of the dock and the dock was aware of the window, something that doesn't exist in GNOME as of yet. Um, those kinds of, those kind of polish were just not avail- available in any other desktop. Even sm- smaller things like when you first install Ubuntu, one of the clever things that they do is when you hit the minimize button, it 
there is a, it takes a certain amount of time for the window to kind of fade into the dock. Mm -hmm. And after like, I think it's 300 or 400 uh, fades, then it speeds up to like half the time. And their rationale, I would imagine behind that is it looks very elegant and cool when you first get into it. And then after a week or so of using, it, it's like, okay, now the fan, now the, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the fanciness is worn off and I just want to be able to use this thing. When I click the minimize, I just want it out of my way. That's the kind of forth, forethought and polish yeah. that makes Unity a fantastic desktop. So if I have to choose, you know, what I'm working on day to day, it's, it's one of those two. These days it's going to be GNOME because there is no real, I don't think a solid future for, for unity. Right. If I'm looking at some sort of utilitarian thing, if I'm looking at any sort of a server, any sort of a, uh, a desktop uh, utility desktop that's sitting in one place that all of the studio machines here, um, Mate, because Mate is a very simple out of your face, low resource desktop, much like much of the same things that I like about XFCE, mm -hmm. except uh, XFCE, we talk about how great it is that we can customize it. The great thing about Ubuntu Mate is all those customizations, the ones that I would make, are already done by Martin Wimpress. So I can just <laughs> install the ISO. The only thing I change on Ubuntu Mate is I change the power settings so it doesn't automatically suspend after a certain amount of time. And that's it. Uh, other than that, it's it's stock, uh, stock uh, Mate, and I, I'm very happy with it. Nice. Those are some awesome recommendations, ones that we also have all loved. Rocco's a huge GNOME person. Well, I used to be a KDE guy, all right? And I actually never ran Unity for longer than probably an hour until the day before they announced it. So I put on Unity uh, on my test computer, and I was going to do a video about it. And I started making the video, and the very next day is the day they announced that they were... Kinetic was going away from it. <laughs> I was like, well, there's no sense of this video now. So, but, By the way, Rocco has a pattern with this. As soon as he's about to do a video, something happens with that company. I'm telling you. So, But you were talking about the polish on Unity. And one of the things that I noticed was, and I wish that uh, GNOME would integrate it into it somehow, is, well, I guess they can't because GNOME has a full screen uh, menu. But the menu on Unity is like a three-quarter menu. OK, and right. It kind of just blended right into the panel itself. So it, it wasn't blended. But as soon as you open it, it just seamlessly goes into the panel. And it, right. it was just fabulous. So I got used to it and then they got rid of it. So, yeah, there's I don't know if you're if I, and I, I don't want to cut into your new segment at all. But there, you know, there is some talk about what the future of unity really is. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so you have obviously tried tons of desktops. So can we consider you a distro hopper? <laughs> you know, uh, I think I think it would do a disservice to distro hoppers to classify me as a distro hopper. Part of part one thing that kind of turns me off to some distro hoppers are sometimes I feel like those that distro hop are in search of, search of perfection and I don't think they ever find it. And then a lot of them, I think, revert back to some other operating system because they can't find perfection in Linux. And, and you know, with macOS or Windows, it, neither one are perfect, but you know what those imperfections are and they're the same every single time. Windows 10 has the same problems every time you turn it on. macOS has the same shortcomings every time you boot it up. Whereas Linux has a wide range of shortcomings depending on what desktop you're using or lack thereof. Um, and so 
that has always kind of made me, con- that has always kind of driven me away from distro hopping too much. The other thing is I, I don't always have a lot of time to, 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 to really dig into a new desktop or a new distribution unless there's a reason for me to do so. So I tend to hover between Fedora, obviously CentOS on servers, Ubuntu on servers, Ubuntu on the desktop, and Arch on the desktop. Um, and I kind of, that's kind of my four fecta. I'm going to create a word. Um, but, uh, but, uh, and other than that, I don't branch out a whole lot. Although we did actually do a recent deployment of SUSE actually for a medical clinic, um, for a variety of reasons. But, um, and so when I have an opportunity to do those things, um, I ran SUSE for about a week and a half just so I could brush up and kind of get back into the whole YAST way of doing things. Yeah. So that when I sat down, it was, it was very natural to me. Um, but for the most part, I tend to stick on, on those four Fedora, Arch, uh, Ubuntu, um, you know, or, uh, or Red Hat. I think there's a lot of validity to that, especially for new users and talking about distro hopping and kind of hyping it up. There's definitely that potential that they're trying to chase you as a content creator as well. And as they're chasing you, they're, they're not as experienced. So they're running into issues. But one thing, I think the opposite side of that is, you know, uh, we, we were reading an article last week's podcast that we were laughing about because the guy was talking about, I forget his wording, Rocco, but it was kind of like uh, how unstable and hard and difficult Linux is to use. <laughs> yeah. And what I found amazing is when I was, when I distro hop, when I, when I go from, you know, something like a Debian based to an arch based to is I keep falling in love every time. Like I don't have that experience of like, Oh, this has got this defect. I do see that stuff. There are differences. There are different problems, different ways of hearing errors, but I just fall in love. Like, I mean, you watch my channel. People are like, Oh, he's in love with Monjaro this week. He's in love with Ubuntu this week. He's in love with, I just, I find them, I find it so amazing. And that's one of the things in the Linux that has really changed. I think in the past, years. I don't Mm -hmm. want to say how many because I've only been in a year, but it seems in the past years, Linux has changed because I heard so many people talking about, oh, Linux is so difficult. And how do you even get a game installed? And I'm like, you install Steam and click install <laughs> right. and play? Yeah. Like, how hard is yeah. that? Yeah, three years ago, though, that wasn't the case. And, right. and, you, also, and you also, you have see, you have seen a lot of desktops come into their own because in the last, let's say, seven years, you've watched Unity go from a, a flaming pile to a really polished, <laughs> beautiful desktop. You've watched Gnome go from a practically unusable, sh- well, it was unusable shell uh, and a total reboot of GNOME 2 to a really polished uh, Class A desktop, and you've watched KDE, you know, and the Plasma desktop just totally take off, and there is no bad choice. Um, and then, of course, you have your your, your standby standards like XFC, and, and a shout out too to the to the tiling window guys. Um, you know, I don't know if you've played much with Xmonad, but um, that is a really fantastic way if you can get into their mentality and their way of working. That is a really efficient way to work on your machine. Yeah, yep. that's definitely been some interesting things. So talking about those changes, where do you feel like Linux as a whole needs to focus to continue its growth? Because we've seen a bunch of articles with numbers and all of that, whatever. It's obviously Linux is growing more than it's been in the past from a desktop standpoint. It's always been huge on servers and all of that. But from a desktop perspective, what do you think they need to continue to focus on to see that growth continue? Yeah, uh, one word, Electron. Um, the reality is that uh, Mac OS, every release becomes closer and closer to iOS and iOS has always been Apple's baby and iOS is where the majority of their money is. So there is a lot of reasons for Apple to slowly back away and slowly migrate their, their whatever they have, 8%, 9% of the, the desktop market space over to iOS, a platform where they have 
the you know where they're going to spend the majority of their money. At the same time, you've watched Microsoft. I mean, what can I say? They couldn't make any more mistakes if they if they hired a team to make mistakes, right? So I mean, you're, you're looking at Windows 10 and the disaster that it is. And the, the, the latest speculation is that Microsoft ultimately has to move to a subscription service, which is, I mean, undoubtedly going to infuriate a bunch of, uh, of, of their people. And at the same time that you're watching all of these terrible things happen on macOS and Windows, you're also watching the advent and rise of mobile platforms. So more and more people are mm-hmm. using Android and iOS. And we actually did an install for a CEO of a major company, and he uh, just believes because he's 38 years old or 39 years old, he just believes that the mobile operating system is more efficient. And we can agree to disagree on that. But the reality was we ended up installing like this 21 inch Samsung tablet uh, that we had to buy specifically from AT&T because the DirecTV branch of them are the only ones that make a tablet this big. And that is his primary computing device in his office. Uh, and and so you're wa- you're seeing that happen more and more, and you're, you're we're watching um, Ubiquity come out with these Android-based uh, executive phones because people want to be on a mobile platform. They don't want to mm-hmm. use traditional technology. And so if you if you kind of back out and you kind of look at that as a whole and say, so what's happening? Well, what you're what's happening is that the desktop operating system is in fact dying, except for a lot of us who you know, are kind of old curmudgeons and, and want to work on a keyboard and a mouse and a desktop and, and, a, and a monitor. And so what you see is because there is a lack of major profit in Microsoft's case, because they've screwed it up and Apple's case, because they want people on mobile, you're, the void is getting bigger and bigger for a major player to come in and just dominate on the desktop operating system. And because of those forces, because Microsoft and Apple are both such dominant players in the desktop operating system world, what you're finding is software vendors are moving to web-based applications. So every hotel we've supported in the last eight years, I think, they're all moving to web-based platforms. The, mm-hmm. In fact, the new credit card uh, processor that we work with, and we install these credit card processors, used to be there was software that ran on the computer and you'd plug it in with a USB cable and all this stuff. Now there's an Ethernet port on the back of this card reader and you plug it in and there's some cloud API thing that connects up to the cloud and that you just call in the serial number, uh, yeah, serial number of the uh, credit card reader and they connect it all in the, all in the cloud. And so you, there's no software that's running locally anymore. And so again, and part of the reason they're doing that is because that enables people to set up Android kiosks or, or iOS kiosks or Linux. Uh, and so if you want to maintain a keyboard and a mouse and a monitor, the, the way to do that, I think, in the next five to seven years is th- the predominant way to do that is going to be Linux. And the biggest shortcoming Linux has always had is software availability. And mm-hmm. so we don't have Photoshop. We don't have, you know, uh, uh, you know, Adobe Premiere. We don't have, you know, all the big name applications. Right. And so how do we, how can we solve all of these problems? Well, Electron, if Adobe were to port Photoshop to Electron, for example, well, now it works on iOS or Mac OS. It can work on Linux. It can work on Windows. It can work on every platform because it, they're, it's basically just this web container kind of a thing. And we know that Electron is powerful enough to do these things, despite what some of its, um, you know, the, the people that are against it want, want to, uh, want to argue. So Electron, I think is really where Linux users and Linux developers really need to concentrate on, because I think ultimately that's, what's going to say, Adobe's going to say, you know what, if we can just write this thing that we have one application to support, it runs on anything that anyone wants to run and, uh, and just, and just send it out there. And, then Linux Canonical doing a bang up job on the Linux desktop can say, hey, you know, places like System76 are making these computers or Dell are ma- the Dell talking to the people at Dell and how many of these Linux based XPSs they're selling. It's crazy. The numbers are off the charts. And wow. so 
to, you know, to, to take these major computing companies that are part, partnering with these major distributions. And if we get some major software coming in there, all of a sudden you have the perfect trifecta for Linux to really take off. That's where I think the future of the Linux desktop is going. Well, you nice. mentioned uh, Electron. And every time <laughs> Electron gets mentioned in any uh, Telegram group or anywhere, yes. it's met with so much resistance. Yep. Why? A lot of people see Electron as the way of cheating actual software development, actual native on the metal development. And so they see Electron as kind of almost, it's almost kind of looked at in a lot of circles as the same way wine applications are. You tell somebody that TeamViewer is available for Linux and their first thing is, well, it's not really on Linux. It's just a wine wrapped application that happens to run on Linux. And to a certain extent, I understand that uh, argument and, and where they're coming from. But when it comes to Electron, I've spoken with enough Electron developers, the people who actually do this stuff, not just have an opinion on the internet. And the people who are actually working with this stuff tell me that it is so close to native metal performance. And the, 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 the differences that are there are not noticed by the people that are using it. It's, and in 90% of applications, it doesn't matter. And so even things up to, you know, video editing and audio editing and, and stuff like that. And so, um, we we need to get off this idea that there is going that these developers are going to develop for a platform that has three or four percent of the desktop market share. It's just not going to happen. And we also have to give up this idea that the market share is going to expand to any significant amount until we have applications software that people want to use available on Linux. And the it's this chicken or the egg thing because software software is it's a social limitation. It's not a technological limitation. There's no there's no technological reason why tomorrow Adobe couldn't say we are porting Photoshop to Linux or we're right. porting Premiere to Linux. Yeah. There's no technological reason that's stopping them. What's stopping them is a social limitation. They say there's no reason to because there aren't users there. And then the users are sitting there and saying, well, we're not coming there because there isn't enough software there. Electron is a way to break that cycle. Electron is a way that there is, there is incentive for businesses to port all of their applications to one thing to maintain that already works on both major dominant platforms. It just so happens that a side benefit of that is it would work on Linux. And I can tell you from talking to these people firsthand, um, companies like EditShare are looking for a way to really dominate on the Linux platform at, with video editing. I can tell you that Dell designed that brand new all-in-one that they have uh, specifically to target content creators, media creators. And so they're, everyone is kind of at the ledge, just kind of waiting. And it's everyone's just kind of going, you go first, because we don't want to take the first dive. Um, but all of those cards are just, aren't, they're all lining up right in a row. We just need, you know, the V for Vendetta thing. We just need one guy to flick the, start the domino effect. And, and I think it's just going to take off like wildfire. Nice. So it sounds to me like uh, Electron is almost like a mediator, almost like Vulcan is in the gaming area, yes. where it works on other platforms and it would just enhance the Linux gaming section. Right. So the question is, are you a gamer? I am. I, uh, I, I, uh, I, you know, <laughs> I joke about it a little bit, but uh, I do like playing games uh, if they are available on Linux as a way to pass time. Um, so you follow guess, the no tucks, no bucks rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I follow that. I follow that rule inadvertently because um, turns out if I can't, if it doesn't show up in my list of available games to buy, because I only, I only have Linux computers, turns out I can't buy anything else. Right. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time on Counter-Strike, uh, Counter-Strike Source. Um, lately, I, there was actually, um, I, I, I got into a portal for a while. Um, 
but yeah, every once in a while, I think probably my favorite game of all time is still uh, the um, what's the one where you you erase the sun. Absolutely love that game. I can sit there for hours and hours and hours and hours and just even while I'm doing other things, while you know servers are copying or whatever, I can then just open it up and play for a couple minutes, and that's yeah, a blast. I think that's really interesting because you know, uh, first of all, I think the whole idea of Electron is extraordinary and I think it would help the growth because I agree with you that there's that, that gap there and I've not used it personally or seen its implementation, but based on what you're explaining to me, it seems like that's where everybody's trying to go anyways is into this type of cloud platform. And I can imagine companies like Adobe and stuff would love this because now they have some more control over their keys and pirating and all of that type of stuff potentially as well. And it also allows them to mass distribute across multiple platforms. But the number one thing that I hear constantly on my channel with Linux, especially when I started, but it's still today, is I would switch tomorrow if Linux had more games. And so what we're representing here, obviously you represent a lot of businesses and that type of thing, but a lot of the individual desktop users, they want the games. They want Mm -hmm. the games to play. And Linux has more games now than even a year ago when I started. I mean, the amount of Mm -hmm. games coming i can't buy them all and and play them but they want the triple a titles and things so right. does electron have anything to do with gaming would it would it be something where because there have been a lot of ideas i've heard in over the years of a lot of the gpu or <clears throat> the power to run a game being basically stored in the cloud and you're just mm-hmm. streaming it through your pc would that be something that would be possible with electron or no Yeah, I don't know if if that would be possible with Electron per se. I think that game streaming is definitely going to become more prevalent, especially as we see Internet speeds, particularly in the U.S., um, increase to 30, 40, 50 megs just as a a baseline standard, as the lowest common denominator. I think also what you see, though, is you're going to see a lot of these games are going to center around a particular engine and they're going to want that engine to be cross-platform, you know, or, or things like OpenGL, which, you know, when you actually compare them to, you know, their proprietary, you know, counterparts, all of a sudden you're like, well, this is way better. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like practically overnight, everyone's using OpenGL. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think as you see technologies like that come where the open source technology is truly unequivocally from a technical perspective, better than its proprietary alternative, I think you're going to watch more and more people kind of jump on that bandwagon. Nice. All right. So we have one more fun question for you, and then we're going to get into the news. Okay. Um, So you find yourself, Noah, stranded on an island of ancient, outdated technology. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You're all alone. Uh, In a well-protected waterproof case, you find just three laptops. Okay. You boot them up. One runs Mac OS. One runs Windows. And the final one runs Hannah Montana Linux. Now, there is no internet to download an alternative Linux ISO. Okay. Which laptop do you use? Well, I use the MacBook to start my fire. And then I use, <laughs> then I use the Windows 10 machine to sleep on. And then I'll take Hannah Montana Linux and use that for whatever computing I can. Here's the thing: without internet, what do I need uh, from the computer? I I, I need a You're I need going a terminal. Too deep into the story. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, you know, I need a terminal to to you know to, to browse around, get my my feel of the file system. I'm sure Hannah Montana has some sort of a text editor, which is really what I'd want with a computer is to be able to like you know keep a journal. If there's no internet, there's no hope of calling for help. Yeah, I'll go with Hannah Montana Linux. You, That's awesome. you forgot to mention the USB of 
fedora in your pocket. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't have. So I, I took it off because I'm on camera, but I have a my lanyard has a has a flash drive with uh, with Ubuntu at the moment, Ubuntu 1710. There you but go. I'm, nice. I'm assuming that would have gotten ripped off or something. On the yeah. Way. Yeah. In this story, it gets ripped totally off. ripped off. You're on Hannah Montana forever. <laughs> All right, so um, you have agreed to hang out with us a little bit longer and cover the news with us. Let's do it. Which Let's is do awesome. It. All right. All right, so the first thing we got is Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. It's going to be released in April of next year, but they have come up with the code name, Bionic Beaver. An interesting choice here. I mean... <clears throat> I like how Shuttleworth said, in honor of the tireless toil or mascot, the cycle is a mammal known for its energetic attitude, industrious nature, and engineering prowess. We give it a neatly nerdy 21st century twist. I guess that's the bionic part. In honor of the relentless robots running Ubuntu core, bionic beaver. What do you think, Noah? Best name ever? I think it uh, has a lot of implications. <laughs> But no, uh, I uh, the the code word thing has always kind of baffled me. But uh, no, I think it's I think it's a clever name. It certainly seems to be well received by the community, at least mm -hmm. as far as I've seen so far. I'm thinking some cool wallpaper here of you know a, a beaver half Terminator style on one side of the face and a red eye. I'm thinking we could do some stuff with this. Rocco, you happy about this name? I don't. I mean, it really. Does. Like I don't. On. I don't really care, dude. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> it's, a, it's it's in the news, so we're covering it. Um, 1804 is going to be released. Well, actually, the freeze, the feature freeze, is November 30th. Uh, and then the betas come out, the alphas, betas, and the 26th of April will be the final release for it for stable. So do you see most users upgrading to this or sticking to 1604? Yeah, I, I, I would imagine that the vast majority, I, I would imagine that 80%, if, if history is any indication, 80% of, of the uh, total Ubuntu users are not going to upgrade to 1710. They are going to wait till the LTS breaks, the 1804. And at that time, I believe that 80% of uh, the 80% the of the users are going to are going to upgrade. The remaining 20% will be split between those that are running the non-LTS and those that aren't upgrading at all for various reasons. Nice. Yep. Agreed. So in the news is LXQT, Rocco, one of my favorites. One I'm of known. your favorites? <laughs> yeah. I'm known for loving this one. With better high DPI support. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not for me, I tease. Um, so you've got some new features in here available as a QT5 powered desktop environment. Um, improved open save file dialogues, better support for high DPI. So that's kind of a theme we see in all of the updates going across a lot of the distributions lately. Um, and new LXQT theme packages and more enhancements and optimizations there for you to love and enjoy. What do you think? Well, here's the thing, you know, like, LXQT is not for me, okay? They are improving it. So mm -hmm. hopefully with the newer releases, uh, it you know gets better and better. And that's the whole idea. So these features, they, they you know, it may not be so exciting, but it's a constant development process that makes it better and better to the point where, you know, not everybody is a GNOME user, okay? Not everybody's going to be a KDE guy, okay? So there are people out there who love LXQT. And this is just something that works well, I, great I, for I know the people that love 
LXQT because I get their hate mail every time we do an episode <laughs> and mention LXQT. Um, it, and I don't hate it. And in fact, in a lot of ways, when you boot into it, I see the potential there. But you know, I have these. I you ever have one of those quirks? Like my friends call it. Um, they call it the DOS geek water effect. If there's a game where you touch water and you die, I won't play the game. It's just this thing that annoys me. And in a lot of the LXQT implementations, the menu systems have no application search by default. And to me, that's just basic operating system 101. I want to click on a menu, search for my application. Can I get to it through the terminal another way? Sure. Can I go install uh, another search option or menu option? Sure. But I don't want to have to. I don't think I need to. And that's what annoys me about it. And that's why I don't use it. But I get a lot of people telling me, go back and try it again. You're going to like it. It's changed. And I owe them that. And I will do that. But that's that was my big turnoff with LXQT. Am I wrong? How wrong am I? No, I think they're <laughs> delivering to their user base. I, I'm I'm in the same boat as you guys. It's not it's not my particular cup of tea, but I'm there's somebody out there with an eight year old computer, and they're super happy that they're they're getting some upgrades. There you go. <laughs> well, speaking of modern and latest and greatest technology, yes, please cover this, will you? Ten is released. <laughs> so those who are Team DOS geek here, we are excited that Ubuntu is at seventeen point ten. There are lots of features in here. You've got GNOME font viewer included by default client-side decorations, new icons, all of the improvements that everybody's getting across the flavors of 17.10 included. But one of the big things that stuck out to me here, and this is across all of the 17.10 iterations, is the Bluetooth support. So you guys know I do a lot of audiophile videos and things. I love audio. And I've been trying to find a good Bluetooth headset, uh, which has been hard, an audiophile-worthy Bluetooth headset. But when I play with them and I utilize Bluetooth settings and a lot of distros, this has been a major issue where there's a lot of static interruptions, constant disconnects. But that's not the case in 17.10. I can tell you I was playing with some new uh, Bose Sound Sports the other day, and the Bluetooth connection in the 17.10 I was using Zubuntu was just absolutely perfect. The sound quality was there. The video audio sync was there. They've done major uh, improvements into Bluetooth. Well, I installed 17.10 on a secondary drive only because of you. For whatever reason. Welcome to the club, Rock. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and look, uh, Zubuntu is really good. Okay. Beside behind KDE, it's probably th the most customizable desktop out there. Okay. There are one or two minor issues that I have. Uh, it doesn't play well for me with dual monitors. Uh, it still ends yeah. up going on the wrong screen in that. But overall, it runs fabulous. So the other day, my dad, who listens to you talk about XFCE. Smart said, man. He's said, so wise. Oh, my gosh. He says to me. Always listen to your father. He says, I, I want to try XFCE again. So I installed it on his computer, and he uh -huh. absolutely loves it. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, what a yeah. Loves it. <laughs> Love it. So I don't know. It, like I said, what do you think of the new Zubuntu? Noah. Noah, yeah, uh, I haven't played with it, so I, I don't have uh, I don't have a very educated opinion on it, unfortunately. Well, you're gonna love it, well, and uh, obviously XFC is the greatest desktop ever. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. One uh, day, one day, I'm gonna <laughs> owe the XFC developers an apology for all the. <laughs> well, no, because you just said you tried it and you really liked it. I, mean, I said it. I said yeah. it's good. It's not particularly for me. Um, there's nothing specific wrong with it. Uh, it's not the only thing that's wrong with it is it's well, there not is an IQ gnome. Requirement. Did you read that? Part? It's not gnome. 
That's why. <laughs> All right, what's next in the news? Oh my gosh. All right, let's we got Antics 17 which is released now. So you can go download the live CD. It comes in four flavors, each of which offers different levels of bundled software, so not every desktop will be the same. Uh, it's tailored for lightweight, older machines, but, you know, obviously it's Linux. It can run on any machine. So the big right. thing, though, is System D. It's a big item that it runs System D. So what's no? What's the deal with? Well, System actually, D? the big item is it doesn't run. System oh, it D. doesn't run with System That's D. That's right. Yeah, they they actually it's all over their site. They talk about the fact they don't run System D at all, and that's the big kind of claim to fame there. Obviously, there's lots of claims to fame being a lightweight distro. You've got multiple packages you can download and various, but not having system D is a thing. I had to do some research on this, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I really couldn't figure out exactly why there were people out there that didn't like system D. So maybe Noah, you know, yeah, so uh, it breaks a lot of stuff is is really what it comes down to. <laughs> great. Uh, you talk to anyone that's on Puppy Linux, you talk to <laughs> any of the BSD guys, uh, you know, they're really upset about B, uh, um, System D because they have so many things that relied uh, and were tied in um, to the previous init systems. However, the, the argument is kind of silly because if you ever actually sit down and play with System D, we're, I mean, literally, we are talking about servers that used to take seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes to boot down to mere seconds wow. to go from a power on status to a I'm sitting ready to log in prompt. Um, seconds. Uh, so in the enterprise world, that is, it's it, the benefits so drastically outweigh uh, the, the detractors that it, it to me, the, the argument is just kind of silly. Um, the only you know, and, and, and what you so anyway, so what you find, though, with things like antics are. I have a ton of old hardware. I have, I'm a real fan of the old IBM 701Cs with the, you know, the butterfly keyboards. Yeah. If anyone knows what those are, uh, Libretto 70CT, I still have that thing. I play with it uh, from time to time. And so, and I, and one of the things I like to do is see what's the most modern version of Linux that I can get to run on those things. And obviously system D is going to be a very heavy in its system, you know, for 25 year old hardware. Uh, right. So I am thankful that there are these distributions that stay away from that and still maintain previous init systems. Nice. So Antics is related in, in a way to a distro that I absolutely love, which is MX16, MX17 out there. So apparently there, you were telling me, Rocco, they're actually related to each other or they work off of each other or something. Well, along we're going to get Dolphin Oracle on. He was on episode two, I believe, uh, yeah. of Destination Lakes. We're going to get him on uh, sometime to talk about MX again so he can clarify the relationship between MX Fantastic. and Antics. Can't wait. All right. So Linux Mint is throwing its weight behind Flatpak. So Solus goes with Snaps. Linux Mint is going with Flatpak. So it will come with full support 18.3 for Flatpak, including integration for the software manager. So in theory, this means that you'll be able to run different versions of an app side by side. So it may alleviate some problems that people have with um, situations where they have Linux Mint offers older uh, releases of software, and now they might be able to install a newer version of that software. So what do you think? Noah? Yeah, I think it's a mistake. Um, I think that if you look at the whole idea between Flatpak and AppImage and, and Snaps or whatever, the whole concept 
is to universalize a installer. And so, you know, to quote the, uh, you know, a cheeky XKCD comic, well, we have 13 standards. Well, let's invent a standard to standardize them all. Now we have a new problem. We have 14 existing standards. It's like, so, and the, the, the thing is, I, you know, as a Red Hat guy, as a Fedora guy, early on, I was a big advocate of Flatback. Um, but as I watched what the industry did, we, we, we constantly, as Linux users, probably because we're so technically inclined, we tend to get hung up on the technical advantages and disadvantages rather than the market realities. And the market reality is that snaps are the future of containerized desktop applications. That's just the world we live in. Um, so I think it's a mistake to, 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 to fall away from that. So can't they come, couldn't they um, both adopt Flatpak and Snaps sure. within their system? Sure. So is mm-hmm. it necessarily a negative to have both or do you think it's just going to create confusion within the software store because you're going to have three different versions? I, of both? I, I, yeah, I think where the problem comes in is, so I run XYZ Software Company and I say, I want to target, yeah, I guess that Linux, that thing that it keeps coming up my radar. I guess maybe we should target them. All right, well, let's see what there is to targeting. And okay, so I go in and I, I make the mistake of making a Reddit post or something like that. And I say, I'm interested in targeting Linux. What, uh, how do I get started? Well, first, you're going to have all the people that are going to say, well, it's Ubuntu. That's where modern desktop Linux is. And so just go ahead and work with Canonical. And they have a, a very, very straightforward approach to targeting uh, you know, Linux. And then you're going to get a bunch of people that are going to say, listen, I'm a real Linux user. And if, uh, if, you don't, if you don't port it to Fedora, I'm just not going to use your stuff. And then right. you get a whole other group of people that go, listen, if you're not on Arch, I mean, that's where all the, that's where all the real <laughs> Linux users, I mean, yeah, there's people start on Ubuntu, but eventually they wind up on Arch. And, and, and you know, we laugh about it, but the reality is of, as a developer, you're like, I ain't touching that mess. It's and then true. they step back. Um, and so the idea of, again, of flat packs and snaps and, and app image is that the developer can just say, listen, I'm going to make a snap of this and you guys do whatever you want with it. If you want, you can run it on Arch and, and Ubuntu. And so if we start subdividing that process, we're back at square one. Uh, and so, well, maybe not quite because we have only three to choose from instead of like 250,000, but <laughs> still the problem exists. Uh, right. and, what I, and when I see what's happening, Skype is sitting down with Canonical and developing a snap of Skype. Um, I don't, to the best of my knowledge, they're not sitting down with Red Hat and developing a flat pack. They're not sitting down with app image and developing an app image. Uh, and so as you watch where these major players are landing, that's where everyone should land for the, for the, for the future of Linux as a whole. Yeah, I happen to agree with you, although I know a lot of people vehemently disagree with that aspect of having some standardization put in. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I come from a corporate culture and stuff where standardization kind of has to happen for your company to continue to exist in a lot of ways. You can't mm-hmm. just have things going all over the place. But to me, if you want to, if you love Linux and you want to see it grow, there are some areas where you want it completely open. You don't need to have right. standards and rules. And then you want to have areas that are focused that help the growth of the product. And I think your example was perfect. We're trying to attract some of these companies in and say, this is a viable uh, solution for you. The people will support it. They'll back it. And okay, now here's 15 options for you to release it and 60,000 distributions. And by the way, if you don't release it for X distribution, everybody's going to be mad at you uh, because it doesn't work there. And then so creating this, you know, with the snaps and the flat pack, I think is great. Choose one. Like you said, let's move forward with it. Let's make it our technology and let's take some of the resources mm-hmm. that everybody has that they're dedicating to doing one or the other and maybe have them work together. Everybody ever thought right? of that? <laughs> That's craziness. <laughs> but wait, it wasn't invented here. Right. 
So uh, in other Linux Mint news, uh, Linux Mint will discontinue its KDE edition. So that is gone. So they're discontinuing any future releases of it. Um, they said because Rocco uses KDE, they no longer have interest in it. <laughs> I well, think look, that was what the press release said. The two, mo uh, to me, the best versions of Linux Mint are Cinnamon and KDE. Uh, the KDE version is actually really, really good. Uh, it's a shame that they're discontinuing. There's going to be a lot of users that are going to be left out uh, because of it. Uh, hopefully, they'll still be able to put in the PPAs for the Kubuntu backports and get it. But it won't be native. And one, I guess the reasons that they're citing for doing this is because, you know, they're working on apps for across their uh, desktop environments. And mm -hmm. th the apps that they're working on are not working that way with KDE because it's beginning a different uh, architecture. So that's the reason they're citing. Did you ever try the uh, Linux Mint KDE version, Noah? No, no, I think it's, uh, again, that's one of those things where I feel like it's a redundant effort. I mean, Mint is the Cinnamon desktop on top of Ubuntu, essentially, with some tweaks. Um, so why would I use KDE <laughs> on top of Ubuntu that is not really Ubuntu because they've done some security things to it? It just it never really made sense to me. <laughs> Couldn't disagree with that. So in some other news, let's do one more topic here, and then we'll get to the gaming section. Coffee. Do you like coffee, Rocco? Let's let's take a look at some coffee Wait, cups here. I love like coffee. That coffee. Oh, Noah, come on. We need you to get one. Of these. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, where, where do I get one? Where, I, I have oh. here. Here's what I, I It's empty now, but I've got my Speed runs my network there coffee mug. Which, but uh, but I, don't, I need a destination Linux. Where can I get one of those? You can get it at teespring.com forward slash destination Linux podcast. Man, did that roll in perfectly or what? Mm -hmm. The marketing mm -hmm. roll right there. But coffee, a news and weather app is what I was talking about, Rocco, until you tried to seize the oh, opportunity to sell coffee cups. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the news and weather app, and and I was playing with this, and it was very interesting here. So it's a new, new weather and news app with eight sources, more coming in the future. It's completely open source. It's got Google, BBC, and Gadget, New York Times, et cetera, uh, that you can choose from on there. Nice side-scrolling. Uh, news articles that you can have. It actually moves natively over to the right side of your desktop. And so if you have multiple monitors, I found it kind of perfect because it kind of just goes over into my second monitor on the far right side. If I want to look over at the news or the weather or anything, I can see it there. Really nice app and well done. There are some minor issues with uh, trying to actually pick your location and things. So it took me a little while to get it to select the location and actually recognize it because it's supposed to have like a default where you start typing and it tells you what county you're in and you select it, but it really wasn't popping up right. But either way, it was something you could work around. But I thought it was a really cool tool and something that I actually kept on my desktop, even though I was trying it for the new segment, because it just kind of sits out of the way and a nice part of my workflow. Did you try it there, Rocco? I did. And it's a decent app and it's got potential to it, but it does have its issues. And one of those issues for me, a big issue, is the problem where you talked about of getting your location in there. It should be way easier to get your location in there. Yeah. One, uh, it was set to auto-locate and it gave me weather from California and I'm not well, in California. You need to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, the other thing is uh, I, it 
pops up on, okay, I have dual monitors and it's a great idea to have it on, you know, pop up automatically in a specific spot, but the user should be able to move it. And I know that you had said you were able to move it, but I was XFCE. not. XFCE, XFCE. It must be a gnome issue. What, what are you on? You're gnome? on gnome, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but okay. So <laughs> it's got potential. <laughs> have you ever played with uh, coffee? No. No, I haven't. But, I, you know, I was actually just looking to see uh, how I can get it installed here because it, it's interesting. We actually, at, right at this very moment, we're going through a, a bit of a weather thing. We have this like storm that's come in and like kind of half shutting the city down. So it's like right about now is right when I want to be looking <laughs> at the weather. So, <laughs> yeah, great to see how that works. Like ever for their app. All right. So let's get into gaming. Rocco, this is one of my favorite sections because, you know, I'm a huge gaming nerd. And we this know, week, we know no, no exception. Tell us, Ryan, tell us. Well, first of all, me and you have been playing some Team Fortress 2. So if you want to see uh, some really embarrassing gameplay, you can go look at Rocco and I's last week's video of us playing TF2. I think we did pretty good. No, I, I don't think we did pretty good, but we did? Okay. <laughs> we, we did. And unfortunately, there's video proof. <laughs> Oh my gosh. We, we streamed it or you streamed it and uh it was definitely you thought our rocket league was bad wow just wait you guys ain't seen nothing yet <laughs> um and then csgo so i was playing with dustin from he's a developer in the buntu budgie team i know nobody's ever heard of him before yeah no, we've had him on the show um before and he's just an awesome guy and he's trying to play the game and he's taking it very seriously and i'm like so tell me about all the development stuff that you do behind the scenes. Tell me about this. And it's like, we're dying here. But the funniest part of this story is both of us were kind of new to CSGO. And so I'm talking to him and we're dying and we're, we're playing bots. We weren't even playing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you watch that culture shift though like counter-strike used to be like the kind of sit back and relax game and, and when the whole go thing with the whole campaign thing came out and you have to like wait in the queue to get all your like then it turned into like the super serious thing like you said like nobody we don't have fun anymore now it's like like these aren't real hostages you know that right, right. <laughs> yeah it can be very serious like you don't want to go online and choose competitive and not be good because these people will stalk you and, and probably come to your home and hurt you but we're bringing we had my level down you're bringing right. my level down i was ranked bronze um but no we had a fantastic time playing it so rocco noah if you guys ever do some csgo would love to get you guys absolutely in, and watch us all die to some boss well maybe you guys are better than me, let's just I, not so. stream it okay yeah we won't stream it we'll keep it <laughs> private what's the fun in that what else do we got in gaming news rocco all right so we have uh one of your style games rpg oh, hand of fate 2 cool game man okay let me tell you something hand of fate one would be one of my picks for one of the favorite games since i moved to linux that i've played on linux i never played it on a different i never played it back in the day when i was on that other os that will go unmentioned so a lot of the games mm -hmm. i play on linux i had for the other os we won't go mention but this is one of the first games that i that i got just for linux and it's hands of fate it's a really interesting mixture of uh, game styles here because it's kind of got that card-based collection element. It's got that luck of the draw with the cards. You've kind of got this oracle in front of you and she drops a bunch of cards and that dictates the enemies that you fight, that dictates some of the weapons that you have to use. But then once that's all done and you're playing that kind of card-based version it actually goes into the first-person view and you actually start fighting with that equipment with those cards that you have against that boss that happened to get picked, that, that got picked through the deck. So it's so much fun. The music's beautiful. The graphics are great. And Hands of Fate 2 is releasing.
and it's going to have Linux support. So you you have the tux, you get the bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about this one. I am not an RPG guy, okay? But I did look at the videos of this and and I'll tell you what, I, I would probably play this. Uh, you know, I'm not a card-based game nice. guy, but the graphics on it look awesome, okay? And it's not solely you know, card-based game. It, it's a, it has elements mixed into it that I like and I enjoy, like the uh, fighting the bosses and that stuff. So I might end up having to get this. And I would consider this a AAA game coming to Linux because in my consideration for that is not only the studio, but also the popularity of the first one, as well as the popularity of it on streaming services like Twitch, et cetera. Every major streamer when Hand of Fate came out was playing it. So this is when people talk about there's no AAA games. Here's one right here. Go get it. Go support it. Show them some love for the Linux because it's right there. They're supporting Linux on release. So there you go. Uh, Speaking of Steam, we've got three major Steam sales dates. So if you love getting uh, your hands on games, we have the Halloween sale going on October 26th through November 1st. We have the autumn sale going on. Which by the time this releases, there'll still be two days to get in on this sale. And dude, there are some amazing games available in this sale. In their Linux games. In their that Linux was, game. That was so awesome because a lot of times you see these sales and there's nothing for Linux on there. Um, but that's changing so much, not only from a humble bundle standpoint, but from Steam now during their major sales. Uh, lots of Linux-supported games out there, which was really cool. Yep. Deus Ex uh, Mankind Divided is one of those games. Really cheap. I think it's like $14.99, dude. Yeah, Regularly a $60 game. So this is definitely one you don't want to miss. Killing Floors on there too as well. <laughs> it's a really cool first-person shooter. Uh, so I didn't get to ask, Noah, did you ever play Hand of Fate, by the way? I haven't. No. If I, I think I can't remember the name of the the last game. The last game I really got into, uh, it was like a it was like a mix between Minecraft and um I, I just can't think. It's a great game. It's too bad I can't think of it. Factoria. Factorium, Factorio, oh, yeah. Factorio yes. is man is that an addicting game? Um, but that was that was the last one that I, I like. I dug into it. I think over the Fourth of July weekend, and then I just I was like glued to my computer for like four days. Uh, <laughs> but ha- that was the last game I purchased. That's the last game I've kind of gotten into. But you you guys have sold me on this for sure. I actually made a note so I can go back and, and buy it <laughs> Steam when we get out the air. But awesome. what I hate about the Steam summer sales is, or any of the Steam sales, is it always comes when I don't have the money. When I have money, <laughs> there's no Steam sales going on. <laughs> there's no time it could come where I would have money. So there you go. Um, no, I, yeah, it's steam sales are so addictive, man. And, and uh, like I said, my favorite thing about it is all of the Linux games that I saw in that sale. Just absolutely beautiful to see that. Uh, so tell me about another first person shooter game on here, Rocco. You know, I love the first person shooters. Well, I'll tell you what, it's called close or close combat. And I'll tell you, I looked at the trailer for this and it looks almost like now it's according to this guy who um did the video on it it's not perfect mm-hmm. it's got some quirks in it that could be fixed but uh-huh. it looks like an awesome game it reminds me of alien isolation which yeah. was one awesome game i love that style of game and it, the whole feel of it uh walking around almost you know akin to like half-life 2 that kind of thing and yeah the graphics on it are amazing so it's one that i'm going to be looking at I mean, look, we've got laser guns, grenades, explosives, flamethrowers, and alien bugs 
all you need is pizza and some guys to talk about Linux and we've got a <laughs> land party here. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, stunning environments, moody graphics. I hope they fix some of the bugs out there, but watching the actual uh, trailer, it looks awesome. And I'm sure the developers are hard at work uh, getting some of that stuff fixed. And if not, I'm sure you can find their email address and bug them until they do. But I love the concept of the game out there. Yeah. Uh, now, this one is not my game. You talk a lot about, you know, I talk about games. You say this is not my style of game, but this is definitely not my style of game here. This next one, Rocco. Okay, so Euro Truck Simulator 2, which I don't get it. Look, this is not my <laughs> style of game either, but I really enjoyed playing uh, American Truck Simulator, which is pretty much There's the same thing. There's nothing to crash into. You're not supposed to crash into buildings. You're not supposed to run over things. You're not supposed to explode cars. You're literally supposed to drive the truck as if you were. You're supposed driver. to drive the truck and make a, and create. Basically, you're creating your own trucking business, uh, and you have to do it well, dude. Like you have to do be you shoot successful. Out the window at any no, point? you don't shoot anybody, dude. You just drive the truck. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you, <laughs> I mean, I'm a former truck driver. Okay, uh -huh. so this is pretty exciting to me. And like I said, I'm not used to, I'm not really into simulator games, but I found this fun, maybe because of being having a background in it, but I found it fun to play. It's too bad I just don't have the time to play more of it. But this is Euro Truck Simulator 2, and mm -hmm. I'm sure that we will get some videos coming from English Bob. Steve. There you go. Yeah. Because he, uh, he loves your truck simulator and put out so much good content on it. So if you are into truck simulators, you should go check this out. Noah, truck simulator. I actually, so it's funny you mentioned that about eight or nine months ago, I actually was specifically looking for some sort of simulation game. I'd gotten into, um, I think it's, is it X-Plane? And, uh, and I was playing it, but it was too complicated. And I was like, yeah, it's, this is too much thinking. I'm like, is there any sort of simulator that is less, that is less like <laughs> mind involved? And I can just kind of like, kind of run through it. I, I was like, I wonder if they have like the Sims or something like that. And so, uh, but that I found actually train simulator, but I don't think it worked on Linux. I, I wasn't able to play it, but, uh, uh, yeah, I was actually when you said that, I was like, that next time I'm that in the mood for a simulator game. So I start gonna, I start playing memories. this game and I you know, I'm driving down the road and you know, you, you know, just like with any just like with real driving, you know, you're kinda like going and you're going too fast and all of a sudden <laughs> I get a ticket for going too fast. It's like it's <laughs> Man, it tries to be much like real life. I think but I think it strikes the perfect balance between, like you said, Noah, being so technical and so mm -hmm. overwhelming that you almost got to kind of completely learn a whole new system to right. actually having fun playing the game. I think it strikes that perfect yeah. balance. Well, we've got one more thing in the news. Uh, I, I, since joining the Linux world, I've been enlightened through things like Humble Bundle and GOG, as well as, of course, you know, I already knew about Steam, but there are a lot of services out there that are selling games and trying to make their name. And I love the idea of kind of splitting my library more than, uh, across more than just one service, because right now I've got like a thousand games on Steam. And if I ever got banned or anything ever happened to my Steam account, I mean, that's a lot of money gone. So it's probably good to extend it out there a little bit. But one of those is Bundle Stars. And you were familiar with them, Rocco, but I wasn't. But they're changing their name to fanatical yeah so. i tried to look online to find out the you know there's always a real reason why they're changing the name uh and i couldn't exactly find out what the behind the scenes reason is uh but bundle stars has over 4500 pc games and from 750 publishers and they started it out as a 
just offering bundles. So they would bundle games to offer a lower price. But they got so popular that they just offer pretty much any game you want. You can buy from them. Um, they still offer the bundles, and they offer them cheap. I've bought many bundles from them. But they're mm. changing their name. They're becoming fanatical. So I guess they're trying to play off the game, you know, being a fanatic for games. And I assume this is another company that gives you a Steam key when you buy from them? Yep. Yeah. Okay. You get Steam keys for everything you uh, buy. So okay. on November first, the retiring Bundle Stars, and they will be at Fanatical dot com. Have you ever tried uh, Bundle Stars, Noah? No, no. Unfortunately, that's not really up my alley. Yeah. Interesting. Well, look, if anybody wants more Bundle Star bundles, then <laughs> go to Fanatical on November first, and it'll be there for you. So that is our end of our news segment. Noah, it has been so amazing. Um, like I said, a lot of us are fanatics for uh, Linux and the people who represent Linux. And you're one of those individuals that, for me, represented Linux. Having you on has been an awesome honor and really love all that you do for Linux and the Linux community. And the fact that you're willing to join a small show like this just shows you want to spread the love and message of Linux and really appreciate it. It's been awesome. I will talk about Linux anytime, anyplace. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast hanging out with you guys. What I love about you, Noah, is the passion that you have. It just yeah. oozes out. And it's so fun to have a conversation with somebody that you could just feel it that they want to talk about Linux. And that's what's great about it. And, you know, you, I messaged you and I said, hey, will you come on the show? And, and that's exactly what you said to me anytime, anywhere. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate what you guys are doing. All right. So a big thank you to all of our viewers uh, supporting us through the Telegram group, through watching, through listening. Uh, it's much appreciated. Everybody have a great week. And remember... The journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Let's do a quick recording and see how this sounds. All right. Say something, will you? LXQT, it is the most amazing desktop environment ever. If you don't want a search feature, <laughs> if you do not like being able to customize things, it's, it's perfect for perfect. you. Perfect. Yeah, yes. It's perfect for you. Absolutely. Okay. It's QT5 power, too.